0: Hey everyone! Welcome to the Oklahoma Next Gen Leaders Podcast, which is created to ignite your kingdom purpose and equip you to reach your potential for God's kingdom. In this episode, Sister Sharp shares some great stories from the book, Becoming Behavior. She talks about the importance of godly behavior and how we must always reflect God's love to others. Don't go anywhere. Let's get into today's episode. Home of Next Gen. This is Sister Stephanie Sharp, and it is so good to be with you today. I am going to do something just a little different with this podcast. I'm going to read to you from a book. Uh, it's called Becoming Behavior. It is an excellent book written by Sister Ruth Harvey. And in my opinion, it's probably it probably speaks more to uh, women than men. But there are some amazing tidbits uh, for everyone in it. Um, As next-gen leaders, our behavior or our conversation, so to speak, must always reflect His glory. And anything, and I say anything, emphasis on anything, we say and do must reflect His character and His love for others. We are to be a mirror of Christ. And if our mirrors are dirty, we really can't give a good reflection of Him. So, I want to talk about some ways that we can clean our mirrors, so to speak. And I just am going to begin by reading um, a chapter or two out of her book. And the first chapter is called Intoxicating Influences. In Matthew 24, 38-39... Jesus identified out-of-control appetites as a sign of the last days. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Again in Luke uh, seventeen twenty six through 30 He alluded to the domination of desires during the end times. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. One of the more infamous cultural maxims selfishly declares, If it feels good, do it. The rampant hedonism of our society lends license to capriciously engage in satisfying one's lust. Drinking, carousing, revelry, illicit affairs, gluttonous gorging, and overspending are just some of the out-of-control symptoms which prevail throughout the land. In this modern day, being held captive in the bonds of an addiction is a common thread which runs throughout many lives. Continually driven by illicit appetites, more and more people are indulging their insatiable desire for drink and drugs. Becoming intoxicated during happy hours is now the focal point of many. An entire restaurant chain called TGI Fridays, or Thank God It's Friday, embodies the intoxicating influences which permeate our culture. However, this sort of mindset is not biblically based. Throughout God's Word, we are commanded to control our urges, especially so in this particular portion of our study. Paul averred that godly women should not be given to much wine. Given the fact that we espouse abstinence from intoxicating beverages, what deeper insight can be gleaned from his injunction? As stated in the previous paragraph, alcohol is an intoxicating substance. What exactly does it mean to become intoxicated? According to Webster's Dictionary, it is defined as to induce, especially with ingested alcohol, Effects ranging from exhilaration to stupefaction to stimulate or excite. Interestingly enough, the word from which intoxicate originates literally means to put poison in. So to become intoxicated actually means to partake of a substance which brings you under its addictive power and produces harmful side effects that can poison your life. As is most often the case, the reason people give themselves unreservedly to an alcoholic addiction is because of deeper problematic issues which lie buried beneath the surface of their lives. Conditions such as mental, verbal, physical, or sexual abuse, low self-esteem, depression, or lack of spiritual direction are just a few of the factors which can influence this sort of behavioral pattern. Sadly, the ingesting of intoxicating substances only serves to exacerbate one's problems by producing a vicious cycle of drinking until giddy or stupefied, only to awaken to the horrendous side effects of a hangover. One drink continues to call for another as the deadly pattern habitually repeats itself until lives are destroyed one swallow at a time. Understandably, our consecrated Christian lifestyle prohibits becoming involved in this sort of addictive conduct. Nevertheless, it is so vital for us to face the fact that many in our churches may be dealing with unresolved issues of abuse and depression, which in turn can inhibit spiritual growth. When these underlying problems are not dealt with properly through the healing power of the Word, a daily prayer life, fasting and, un- and faithfulness to God— They can cause abnormal, addictive behavioral patterns. There are many other ways an intoxicating influence can be introduced into a life, and the enemy of our soul would love nothing more than to get us hung up in a cycle of binging behavior. It is not unusual for women, and even men, to drown their inner pain in the destructive cycle of overeating, overspending, reading endless, mind-numbing novels that create an unrealistic fantasy world, or even listening to worldly music understandably it is not wrong to eat we have to eat to live however many people begin living to eat until their appetites are out of control then the vicious cycle of self-hate sets in when looking in the mirror at bloated bodies and ill-fitting clothing oftentimes women begin to let themselves go and no longer practice good grooming habits which only serves to make them feel worse and can create a variety of hostile responses within the home and marriage relationships oftentimes self-loathing is the underlying cause of angry outbursts. An unattractive outward appearance coupled with inner ugliness may actually create a very harmful scenario of cyclical hostility, which can batter even the strongest relationships. When talking with people who suffer in this area of their lives, I have often found they are using food as a comfort mechanism in order to stuff down the deeper symptoms of inward wounds. Without conscious thought, the gluttonous process is repeated as many stuff their faces with food even when hunger is not present. Unfortunately, instead of aiding in the process of inner healing, this sort of conduct only compounds the problem. Another addictive behavior can be overspending. Again, an occasional shopping trip to the mall is not wrong and money must be spent for life's necessities. Still, some women get caught up in believing another new outfit or household item will assuage their inner emptiness let me confess to you the reader that at one point in my life i got caught up in this sort of response time after time i would find myself at the store buying an exorbitant amount of clothing and accessories on credit then i would hide it in my closet to wear a little at a time so my overspending would not be so obvious to my spouse unfortunately it came time to pay the piper when the huge credit card bills started coming in the mail. Then panic over our beleaguered finances set in, which only compounded my mental stress. Again, it was a vicious, intoxicating influence that could not resolve my inner issues. By earnestly seeking for God's help through consistent daily prayer and study, I managed to extricate myself from this destructive and costly cycle. Only a deep personal relationship with Jesus could satisfy the longings of my soul. After a while, a new outfit becomes dated and loses its appeal or is destroyed by rips or stains. But being in close communion with God will produce an ageless fulfillment which never goes out of style. In fact, it only becomes more beautiful with age and sweeter as the years go by. Other addictive influences can be found in the form of ingesting harmful reading materials or listening to ungodly music. These avenues of entrance into our thought processes may manufacture unreal expectations in personal relationships and can also introduce a worldly mindset. Sometimes women who are not happy at home seek to drown their dissatisfaction by filling their minds with fictitious fantasy. Again, this does not alleviate the problem but only makes them more unhappy with their present circumstances. Instead of appreciating God's daily blessings— and looking for ways in which to improve themselves, they get caught up in chasing an ethereal, non-existent ideal. All the while, their complaint of discontentment may cause them to denigrate their husbands and place unreasonable demands upon them which can tear down a godly union. So how can these unresolved issues be dealt with effectively? First of all, it is important to identify the source of the problem instead of covering it with food, finances, or fantasies. Once the taproot of trouble is unearthed, it can be uprooted through the power of reading and memorizing God's Word. Every antidote for our addictions can be found in the pages of Holy Writ. Releasing divine energy, <clears throat> the Word can enable us to exercise control over our flesh. Furthermore, it reveals the depth of God's true and unconditional love. Like a healing balm, it will restore soundness to the mind as God's perspective replaces the faulty perceptions of the carnal mindset. Instead of popping pills such as Valium or Prozac, why not fill up on a daily prescription of memorized biblical passages? It is amazing how the scriptures will renew hope, reestablish faith, reinstate love, and restore godliness with contentment. Another component of complete inner deliverance is found in daily communion with your Creator. As the songwriter said so beautifully, In the presence of Jehovah, troubles vanish, hearts are mended in the presence of the King. Fullness of joy will never be found in another plate of food, a new outfit, an updated decorating scheme, or in the pages of the latest steamy novel. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist David identified the only true source of lasting joy. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Practicing the presence of God will produce the needed inner tranquility. A third factor in overcoming intoxicating influences is to stop being self-focused and self-absorbed. As the old adage declares, the smallest package in the world is the person wrapped up in himself. If you will get outside yourself and begin to minister to the needs of others— it will amaze you how quickly your focus will change to one of overcoming exaltation. Teach a home Bible study. Visit the sick. Volunteer to clean the church. Get involved in ministry. And suddenly, as you give of yourself, life circumstances will no longer have the power to control you. As I was going through the incredible agony of betrayal and divorce, my district superintendent, Brother Terry Pugh, gave me some of the wisest advice. He instructed me to keep all my speaking engagements, to attend every conference, and to stay totally involved in the work of the Lord. This, of course, forced me to be accountable for my time by preparing messages that would be of help to others. It also necessitated the spiritual maintenance of my personal walk with God so I could be prepared to minister effectively. Moreover, the maintaining of my responsibilities kept me occupied so I didn't have time to to get... Excuse me degenerate into hopeless depression. Another plus was the loving supportive fellowship that was extended to me as I stayed close to the body of Christ. At times it was so difficult to give out when it seemed I was nothing but an empty shell. Nevertheless, every time I reached beyond my hurt and gave of myself to others, it enabled me to endure the emotional trauma which had rocked my world. To be quite honest, Many were the times I would weep profusely in my motel room just prior to a meeting, wondering how in the world it would be possible to reach out to others when I was hurting so bad. Yet every time I walked to the pulpit, God met me, and His strength was made perfect in my profound weakness. Yes, there were days I did not want to live, times when it was almost impossible to keep putting one foot in front of the other, but the ability to overcome was not found in external avenues of escape such as eating shopping reading novels or taking medication it was found in the pages of god's word over and over i would desperately quote psalm 118:17 i shall not die but live and declare the works of the lord today my life is a testimony of the creative keeping power of the word it sustained me preserved my strength and protected my mind additionally The continual spiritual connection found in the prayer closet enabled me to tap into God's divine sustaining power as He would wrap His gentle arms around me and hold me close. From my own personal experience, I found the components of prayer, the Word, and helping others to be key in finding my own private place of inner healing. Likewise, you will find, as you allow these effectual spiritual tools to work in your own hurtful circumstances, they will enable you to overcome every obstacle. Instead of allowing the past to master you through the power of God, you can become the master of your past pain. One of the most remarkable things that will transpire through your triumphant transformation is that when God turns your tragedy into triumph, your pain into peace, and your hurt into helping others, never again will the old intoxicating influences hold you captive. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. The next chapter is called Wise Women Teachers. From the dawn of creation, the woman immediately stepped into the role of instructing others. The first classroom teaching experience took place right in the Garden of Eden. After taking the first bite of the forbidden fruit, Eve proceeded to offer it to Adam. Following her example of disobedience, the man also chose to act contrary to God's laws. Thus, Eve taught Adam to sin both by example and invitation. Continuing in the footsteps of his recalcitrant parents, Cain, their eldest son, offered an improper sacrifice to God. Even when confronted by the Almighty concerning the impropriety of his offering, Cain refused to repent. His insurgency escalated even further when the sacrifice of his brother Abel was accepted by God. This caused Cain to be filled with jealousy. Then, driven by his disobedient, jealous rage, he murdered Abel and subsequently refused to take responsibility for the crime. His defiant disdain for God's laws resulted in his expulsion from the Almighty's presence. Running pell-mell down the same pathway of rebellion, humankind continues to follow in the footsteps of their original parents, even to this present day. If this trend is ever to be reversed, strong action must be taken on a daily basis within our homes. Continuing in our exploration of Paul's writings in Titus 2, 3-5, the Apostle revealed the best plan of action for women to take in this important area. It is imperative for them to become teachers of good things. Furthermore, they are instructed to teach the young women to be sober, which actually means to be wise. What this world needs more of is wise women teachers. Today's world has given a false set of values to women and girls. Instead of preparing the female gender to function appropriately in their God-ordained roles as wives and mothers, the feminist movement decrees all that is good and right according to God's word. Replacing the normal nurturing ways of the fairer sex, the feminist propaganda has instilled a destructive self-centeredness within women. Now they are brainwashed into believing it is more constructive if their focus is on a career rather than being a caregiver, and all at the expense of the solvency of the family unit. Even the church is not immune to this voice. Harried women, who were never meant to carry the working load of the business world, finds themselves on the merry-go-round of super-achievement. However, it is so important to understand there are simply not enough hours in a day or enough energy in a woman's body— to be super businesswoman, super mom, super wife, super Christian, 24-7. In the end, this race for success takes a very injurious toll on the female body and psyche. Could this be why there are more angry and out-of-control women than ever? The solution is simple. We must return to the basics of instilling in each generation the wisdom of God's plan for the woman. In 1 Timothy 2 and 15, Paul laid out some vital areas in which women can excel on a daily basis. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. You may be asking how childbearing could be a means of salvation. Simply put, if a wise mother will instill the proper value system within her children, the stage is set for the cycle of salvation to be put in motion within her family from generation to generation. Oh, the great power of a wise woman teacher. Think of what our world could become if we began to practice these principles one woman at a time, one family at a time, one church at a time. The possibilities are powerful. We could literally change our world and undo the destructive instruction of Eve, the first woman teacher. Let us focus on the three vital areas referred to in 1 Timothy 2 and 15. The first is identified as faith. According to Strong's exhaustive concordance, this is the Greek word pistis, which is pronounced pistis. It means to have a moral conviction of the truthfulness of God and His Word, to be persuaded about the plan of salvation, and to have an assurance of your belief system. How many are able to properly explain the essential components of truth to their children? If our children question our biblical belief system, will we be able to tell them why they must obey these precepts? It is imperative that we are able to explain the whys and wherefores of repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and the necessity of practicing obedience to the laws of God. Now more than ever, a call is being issued for wise women teachers to step up and fulfill their spiritual obligation to pass along these precious precepts to their posterity. The next area of importance is charity. This is probably one of the most key ingredients in successful Christianity. Ralph Waldo Emerson stated, Love is the essence of God. 1 Corinthians 13.13 identifies charity as the greatest attribute of all. In John 13.35, Jesus established it as the premier mark of discipleship. Furthermore, the book of 1 John classifies this particular quality as a prerequisite for eternal salvation. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. 1 John 2, 9-11 We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3, 14-18. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7-8. and 8. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth his brother also. 1 John four sixteen 16-21 As can be ascertained from reading these powerful passages of Scripture from 1 John, love for God and for one another is not an option. It is a requirement if we hope to make heaven our home. Our churches, marriages, and homes must become fountains which disperse the warmth of God's love on a continual basis. Henry Ward Beecher aptly summed up love's potency. Love is the river of life in this world. Not until you have gone through the rocky gorges and not lost the stream. Not until you have gone through the meadow and the stream has widened and deepened. Not until you have come to the unfathomable ocean and poured your treasures into its depths. Not until then can you know what love is. Love will cause us to move beyond ourselves into a realm of unselfish giving where others' needs come before the achieving of our own self-motivated desires. Love seeks one thing only, the good of the loved one. It leaves all the other secondary effects to take care of themselves. Love, therefore, is its own reward. Thomas Merton When charity becomes the supreme governor of our actions, responses, and attitudes, the blessings of God will be released upon our lives in great measure. The more we love, the more we will be loved. Love is not merely a contributor to meaningful life. In its own way, it may underlie all other forms of meaning Irving singer. The love of God will cause us to treat one another in a more Christ-like way, thereby introducing a greater measure of peace and harmony in our lives, our homes, our marriages, and our churches. Solomon the wise sage gave us some wonderful advice in Proverbs 10:12 and 179 concerning the power of love. Hatred stirreth up strifes, but love covereth all sins, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. Strife, contention, and arguments will cease if loving ways are practiced on a daily basis. Anyone can pick a fight and verbalize their anger. This sort of reaction does not necessitate exercising any restraint or self-control. However, to truly operate in love and to control your spirit are signs of great spiritual strength and maturity. Proverbs 17.14 The beginning of strife is as when one letteth out water, therefore leave off contention before it meddleth with. When you feel that desire to wade into an argument, why not let love govern your response, instead of allowing the spirit of strife to loose a flood tide of destructive emotions into your home? Mohandas Gandhi said, Love is the subtlest force in the world. Are there power struggles and a continual tug-of-war taking place in your home? The solution is simple. Love more and more— and you will fight less and less. Love is a game that two can play and both win. Eva Gabor Wouldn't it be much more refreshing to live in a loving environment instead of strife-filled surroundings? Use the key of love. It will unlock the door to happiness and wisdom. The art of being wise is the art of knowing what to overlook. William James Love is the healer, the reconciler, the inspirer, the creator. Rosemary Houghton John 3:16 states for God so loved the world that he gave. When the principles of love are established in a home, they will bring an awareness of one another's needs. These loving precepts will create an environment in which giving to those who love, to those we love becomes the focus, rather than seeking our own fulfillment. This in turn will cause the one loving to receive greater emotional fulfillment since as Marjorie Stoneman Douglas said so well, love is a multiplication. Recently, during a conversation concerning our need to practice the love of God, someone challenged me about whether they had to love certain people whom they didn't consider their brethren. However, this attitude is also dealt with in Matthew five forty three 43-48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? But ye there, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Talk about settling the question of whom we are to love. God's word leaves no loopholes for hateful habits. Love for our enemies as well as for our family and friends illustrates the effectual divine nature at work in our lives. To return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. To return good for evil is godlike. When we learn to play by the rule book of God's love, everyone becomes a winner. Let love be purified and all the rest will follow— A pure love is thus, indeed, the panacea for all the ills of the world. Henry David Thoreau The third elemental teaching, which must be taught in our homes, is holiness with sobriety, which literally means our holy lifestyle is to be coupled with wisdom and self-control. A lack of wisdom and inability to control ourselves will destroy our testimony and taint the beauty of our separation. Often I have seen those who major on making sure the outward man is in total keeping with the word of God— while at the same time destroying others with their gossiping tongues. Nothing is more unattractive than seeing a Pentecostal person who looks good on the outside, but manifests an awful attitude from the inside. One of my friends told me about being at a restaurant with some of his ministerial colleagues. During the course of the meal, one of the men treated their waitress in a very unchristian manner. It was quite embarrassing to my friend, not to mention the destructive impact it had on their testimony. Do we show the world a proper reflection of self-controlled holiness, or is our testimony tainted by unwise actions? Furthermore, what kind of mixed messages are we establishing in our homes and churches? Will our children grow up and embrace the beauty of holiness, or will they be turned off by hypocrisy at home? Many things factor into our composite witness, as the following piece of prudent guidance illustrates. A man is known by his character, what he is. Conversation, what he says. Conduct, what he does, contribution, what he gives, and creed, what he believes. Holiness is so much more than just the correctness of our external appearance. It is also manifested by our inner attitudes and outward actions. May our walk and our talk line up as we model and teach becoming behavior within our world, in private as well as in the public view. The choices we make and lives we live will have a profound effect for generations to come. Personally, I never ceased to be thankful for the teachings which were instilled in my life from the time of childhood. One of the greatest things my mother gave to our family was her example of consistent and faithful Christianity. God was always first in our home, and prayer resounded daily within our four walls. Unselfish giving of time, money, and ministry was a way of life for our family. I never realized the profound power of this sort of teaching upon my life until I was in a state of crisis. One Sunday morning after my world came crashing in, the phone rang. Little did I realize the verbal abuse that was about to issue forth upon me. After hanging up the phone, I was literally reeling from the shock of the attack, almost to the point of hysteria. For one of the first times in my life, I didn't want to go to church. At that insane moment, my first instinct was to run and to hide from this horrible state called life. However, in that moment of despair— The remembrance of my mother's consistent faithfulness was like an anchor in the midst of the storm. Suddenly I knew there was no room for quarter. The only rational choice was to make my way to the house of God. There were two little pairs of eyes watching my reaction and resultant decisions, and those decisions would have a profound eternal effect on my two daughters. At that moment, godly determination swept over me, stealing my resolve to remain steadfast even during this dark hour. Giving up, staying home, and letting unfaithfulness creep in were not options. My precious mother was such a wise woman teacher, and her godly instruction kept me steadfast in the faith when all was reeling and rocking in my world. Thank you, Mom, for teaching me to value truth, to love others, and to embrace true holiness. Your wise teachings are being passed on from generation to generation. Mother, I rise up and call you blessed. Oh, the power of a wise woman teacher— Likewise, the future of succeeding generations is hanging in the balance. The choices you make today will determine the choices they will make tomorrow. Will you answer the call to become a wise woman teacher of good things? And I believe that there are so many tidbits in that chapter that can apply to men as well. We must be wise, prudent, and we must have love for one another. I love you all, and may the blessings of the Lord be upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to follow this podcast and the NextGen social media to stay updated on the latest content. We pray this episode encouraged you. And we will see you on the next one.